Shalom and greetings and welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. Website is scriptureandprophecy.com. That's where you go to find the archives. That's where you go to support this mission of truth. Well, it is that time of the year again, and the Torah portion weekly schedule has started over. And so this is week one. Now, real quick, before I get into this week's reading, this week's Parsha, which happens to be Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, we need to do a little bit of an introduction uh, for those who may be new uh, to all of this. By the way, I've taken the time and I've wrote, written two articles that are now up at scriptureandprophecy.com. And they're, I made them sticky, so they're right there at the top. One is titled, What is the Weekly Torah Portion? The other one is titled, What is the Weekly Prophets Portion? I'm trying to get stuff up on the website as resources and tools for people uh, that I can also reference myself every year when they come around instead of having to kind of re-come up with these things. So I'm going to read a little excerpt from it. Uh, but if you're new to this concept, I recommend that you go read the whole article, okay? But let's just answer the question, what is the weekly Torah portion exactly? Like, what is it and why do we do it? So every Sabbath, it is the Jewish custom to read aloud from the Torah. These readings are broken up into 54 weekly portions, usually comprising two to six chapters. These 54 readings follow a schedule that will allow for the entire Torah, which is the five books of Moses, to be read over the Hebrew calendar year. Each weekly Torah portion has a name that is derived from the very first wor- words of or very first verse of that week's reading. For example, the first portion, which is the one we're getting ready to read, is Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis chapter 6 verse 8, and it is titled Bereshit which means, in the beginning. Often these readings are also accompanied by a weekly prophet's portion, uh, which in Hebrew is called Haftorah. There's an article there you can read about that as well. Uh, It's likely that this portion reading schedule thing was instituted after the Babylonian captivity by the scribe Ezra. So you can go to Nehemiah chapter 8. We refer to it a lot this time of year, uh, that particular chapter. And you can go check that out. Last thing, why should Christians care about the weekly Torah portion, right? This is not a Christian custom, so why do we care? Well, here's why. Unfortunately, many Christians today are willfully ignorant of the scriptures. They know some New Testament, but they know it on a very elementary level. This is true for even many seasoned Christians today. Without a vast and deep understanding of the Old Testament, and more specifically the Torah, one can't even scratch the surface of understanding the New Testament. I believe Chuck Missler said it best. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. You can't have one without the other unless you are content with being complete with, be, with complete and utter ignorance about basic doctrine and especially Bible prophecy. As an example, so many today are very confused when trying to interpret the book of Revelation. 
This is not because the book of Revelation is overly complicated. It's because they have little to no knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures, wherein all the symbolism used in the book of Revelation has been clearly interpreted already. Same goes for many of the parables and the words of Jesus. So do yourself and your walk a favor. Take the time this year to work through the weekly Torah portion schedule. And I promise your relationship with God, His Word, and His Son Jesus will vastly change as a result. So that article can be found at scriptureandprophecy.com. Like I said, it's at the very top. And uh, we're going to start making things easier in regards to this stuff uh, to find the resources and I make, and when I say that, I also mean easier for myself to find it. All right, now that we got the introduction out of the way, uh, we've got six chapters of the book of Genesis to read today. And just so you know, the custom is that it would just be read aloud. There would be some teaching maybe, but it wasn't just like full-on commentary. So that's pretty much what I'm going to do here. I'm going to interrupt it a couple of times to point out some interesting things. And of course, you know I can't read Genesis chapter 6 without going on a rant. So if you're looking forward to my rant about giants and Nephilim, uh, you won't be disappointed. I I uh, can't control myself when it comes to that. So we'll be getting to that at the end of the podcast. Let's go to torportions.org real quick and let's read the portion summary. And by the way, I'm going to create those summaries as well on my own website. Uh, you know, this is going to be a process this year to get all this done. Here is the portion summary from TorahPortions.org. The scroll of the Torah is the oldest and most sacred of all Israel scriptures. It contains five books. The Hebrew name for the first one is Bereshit. It is also the first word of the book in the Hebrew text, as well as the name of the first Parsha, the first week's reading, Bereshit means in the beginning. The English Genesis comes from the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. Genesis means origins. Therefore, the Greek name of the first book of the Bible means the book of origins. Genesis describes the origins of everything. It begins with the origins of the universe, focuses on the origins of man, and then explores the origins of the nation of Israel. As we study the first week's reading from the book of Genesis, we will learn a great deal about God, but even more about ourselves. After all, this is a story of our origins, and when properly understood, the story of our origins helps us find our destination. So with all the introduction out of the way, let's jump in and read our Portia, Parsha portion for today. I'm going to read from the King James Bible this morning. Let's begin. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. So, 
And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. Please note, just a quick comment. I was in a class recently, seminary class, and one of the students, we were in like a little small group thing, and one of the students was saying that she had no one's ever been able to explain to her what what that meant as far as the firmament, and there was supposed to be water, and why we can't see the water. And I gave her an explanation that was that really satisfied uh, her her mind, and she had never heard that explanation before, and it was very simple. And I said, that's because before the flood, there was water above. And when the flood happened, that water came down, along with water coming up from the earth. And now that water is no longer in the firmament, and things have changed. And so that's what I believe about that, in case you were curious. Verse 9, And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, an herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, a greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly a moving creature that hath life, and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales, and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the water and the seas, and let fowl multiply in the earth. In the evening and the morning, were the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creatures after his kind, cattle and creeping things, the beasts of the earth after its kind, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. And in the image of God created he him, male, female, created them. Please note, there's that phrase there, let us make man in our image, plural. Now, if you go look at Jewish commentaries, they say, well, God invited the Jewish host, or not the Jewish host, the angelic host, 
you know, to, to kind of partake and participate in that creation. I would argue that it's actually just demonstrating the three persons of God, so to speak, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I think that's what that means. And then if you look at verse 27, it changes from plural to singular. And it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he, him, male and female, and created them. So that's what I believe is going on there. Obviously, people can disagree and do disagree. And that's fine. Verse 28, and God blessed them. God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it. And he gave dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you shall it be for meat. And to every beast of the earth, and every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work, which he made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. I think it's interesting that the Sabbath of rest, which was a type, at this point is still just a type and shadow. God lives that example out. It's not like God can get tired. He's God. So this is a demonstration of many things. It's a foreshadow of the the Sabbath day. It's also, I think, a foreshadow of prophecy. There's so much there uh, that we just don't have time to try to unpack this morning, but it's worth taking note of. Verse 4. These are the generations of heavens, of the heavens and of the earth, and they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth and there was not a man to till the ground but there went up from the midst of the earth and watered the whole face of the ground and the Lord God formed man of the dust and of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul please note I apologize for continuing to interrupt the reading it's interesting to note that as soon as chapter 2 happens, we move away from God, and in, and in Hebrew it says Elohim, to Yehovah Elohim, is what we're seeing over and over now. And of course, many have argued that, well, there must have been multiple authors or, or whatever. I don't necessarily think that's true, uh, but it is interesting to note that now, instead of just Elohim, like we read in the first chapter, God is now being referred to as, uh, as a, with a name. And we don't see it in our English Bibles, uh, but in the Hebrew it says Yehovah Elohim, or sometimes Yehovah Elohai, which we translate as Lord God. Verse 8, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. 
the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and in the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the river went out to Eden, of Eden to the water, and to water the garden from thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pisan, that is it which compasses the whole land of Havilah, of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good, and there is Bedellum and the onyx stone. And the name of the second river is Gihon, the same as that that compasses the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hiddikel, that is, it, it groweth toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates, and the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree in the garden thou mayest eat freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helpmeet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and now uh, every fowl of the air. And he brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and all the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of the, his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man made he a woman, and he brought her unto him, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and that shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Chapter 3 Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Please note, real quick. And the serpent was more subtle. The word that's translated serpent is the Hebrew word nachash, which means a serpent. What's interesting is if you, you know, we have our, the Hebrew text, which we take and we translate into English. There's also a Samaritan text. And the Samaritan copy, instead of nachash, which translates a serpent, they have kachash, which is a liar or a deceiver. And what's interesting is they're both right. You know, because if, if you go to the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation refers to Satan as that old serpent, right? The serpent of old. And he is a serpent, in a way. Uh, the word nachash can mean all kinds of wild things, but it's, it's typically translated serpent. But kahash, a liar or deceiver, is also true. In fact, if we go to John chapter 8, the gospel of John, we hear Jesus and he says this, Ye are of your father the devil, he's talking to the Pharisees, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, talking about Satan, and abode not in truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And of course, the first lie that we see recorded ever being spoken 
was from the Nahash or the Kahash, the serpent or the liar or the deceiver. And what does he do? He immediately questions, is God telling you the truth or is God holding out on you? Is God holding out on you? So let's go back to that. Chapter 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam, and he said unto them, Where art thou? He said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou were naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee not, thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gavest to be with me, she gave me the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I, I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shall thou go, and dust shall thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception in sorrow. Thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. So the woman's curse is that she will have pain now when it comes to giving birth and that she will basically desire to be over her husband. But that won't be the design. Whereas before this, there was no need for the man above the woman or whatever. They were just one flesh in perfect unity. That's the original design. But because of the curse, now the man will be the head of the, of the, like the house type of situation he will be in charge the woman will desire to be in charge but will not be able to be in charge and she's going to have pain and sorrow when she brings forth children I have to I don't want to bring I don't want to like cause any deep like theological messes here um, but I will just say that I find it interesting that after the sin, the first thing they do is they cover their genitals and then the woman's punishment is that she would have pain giving birth. I'm not going to go any further than that than to say that's just bizarre and I can't help but wonder. Verse 17. 
Now with let's get to Adam's curse. And he said unto Adam, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake, and in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth unto thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. So the man's curse is, now you're going to have to work to provide. Before the earth just gave you everything. You didn't have to do anything other than care for the garden. But it wasn't a, it wasn't it wasn't like a work type thing or sweat type thing. But now you're gonna have to work hard. You're gonna sweat and there's gonna be thorns and there's gonna be thistles and it's going to be difficult to provide food and to provide for yourself and your family is basically Adam's curse. Verse twenty and Adam called his wife's name Eve. Because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also, and to his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skins, and clothed them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become one of us, to know good and evil. And now let us put forth his hand, and take also the tree of life, and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden, to till the ground from whence he was taken. So Adam is Adam and his wife Eve are now removed from paradise. And again, God refers to himself in the plural in this situation. He says, And the Lord God said, Yehovah Elohim said, Behold, the man has become one of us to know good and evil. Verse 24. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims, these are types of angels, and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Chapter 4. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she bare his brother Abel. And Abel was the keeper of sheep, but Cain was the tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the tree of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel also brought of the firstlings of his flock, and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had no respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shall thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee there shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. So God's warning Cain, hey, what's taking place in your heart right now? It's about to bring forth sin. Sin is at the door. You need to rule over that. If you just do what you're supposed to do, if you just do what's right, I'll accept it. Well, we know the story. Verse 8. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. I am, am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now thou art cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. 
When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shall thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. So it's, we had the first murder, but what I find interesting, and again, I'm just going to raise questions to cause you to think. I'm not going to act like I have all the answers. First of all, God puts a mark on Cain so that no one kills him. That's interesting within itself, but what's even more interesting is who are all the people on the earth that Cain's afraid of? I mean, at this point, all the Bible's told us about is Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. But Cain is worried that he's going to go into the earth and there's going to, there's population that he's, that's going to try to kill him, so God puts a mark on him. Interesting. Verse 16. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch. And he boldly, and he builded a city, and he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. And he said unto Enoch, who was born in Irad, and Irad begot Mahajael, and Mahajael begot Methuselah, and Methuselah begot Lamech. And Lamech took unto him two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zillah. And Adabar Jebel, he was the father of such as dwelt in tents, and of such as have cattle. And his brother's name was Jubal. And he was father of all such as handle the harp and the organ. And Zillah, she also bare Tubal Cain, instructor of every artificer in the brass and iron. And the sister of Tubal Cain was Naamah. And Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God said, She hath appointed me another. For God, she said, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began man to call upon the name of the Lord. I'm sorry, but we have to stop one more time with this verse 26. So Genesis chapter 4, verse 6, I'm sorry, verse 26. Let me read that again real quick. I'm pulling up the Hebrew. And Seth and to Seth, to him also there was born a son, he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Now I have to disagree. This is, and I could be wrong, but I'm going to tell you why I disagree. I disagree with that sentence. And then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. What I actually think it should say is then men begin to profane the name of the Lord, not call upon. Now the word there is for begin to call 
is the Hebrew word halal, which means to profane, to defile, pollute, desecrate. Like that's the first definition for it. The second definition is to profane oneself, to defile oneself, to pollute oneself. The next one is ritually or sexually to be polluted, to be defiled, to profane, make common, defile, pollute, to violate. It can mean uh, what it does say to begin, but that's like at the bottom of the list of how that word is typically translated. It's mostly translated as to profane. It's not just that the word is usually translated profane that I believe that, but also the context of the scriptures. We're getting ready to go into chapter 5 and chapter 6, which deals with the fall of man becoming more and more wicked, the sons of God coming down and intermingling with the women. Like, all that's the context. Like, the, like man becoming decadent. So I don't believe they started to call upon the name of the Lord at that time. I believe they started to profane the name of the Lord at that time. You can do with it, do that, do with that what you will. That's just my view. It's taken us a while to get through this. Let's get to chapter five, which is very short, and then we'll have eight verses in chapter six and some ranting. Chapter five. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man in the likeness of God, made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam. In in the day that they were created. And Adam lived a hundred and thirty years and begot a son of his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. And the days of Adam after he had begotten Seth were eight hundred years. And he begot sons and daughters. And all the days that Adam lived were nine hundred and thirty years. And he died. And Seth lived a hundred and five years and begot Enos. And Seth lived after he begot Enos eight hundred and seven years and begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Seth were nine hundred and twenty years, and he died. And Enos lived ninety years, and he begot Canaan. And Enos lived after he begot Canaan eight hundred years, eight hundred and fifteen years, and begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Enos were nine hundred and five years, and he died. And Canaan lived seventy years, and begot Mahalalel. And Canaan lived after he begot Mahalalel eight hundred and forty years, and begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Canaan were nine hundred years, nine hundred and ten years, and he died. And Ma'alel lived sixty and five years, and he begot Jared. And Ma'alel lived after he begot Jared eight hundred and thirty years, and he begot sons and daughters. All the days of Ma'alel were eight hundred and ninety and five years, and he died. And Jared lived a hundred and sixty and two years, and he begot Enoch. And Jared lived after he begot Enoch eight hundred years, and he begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared were nine hundred years, nine hundred and sixty and two years, and he died. And Eloch lived sixty years and five years, and he begot Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begot Methuselah three hundred years, and he begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were three hundred and sixty-five years, and Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. So right there we have the first example of a man being raptured, right? So to speak. Enoch walked with God and uh, was taken. And I don't have time to go into great detail about that. 
And Methuselah lived 180 and 7 years and begot Lamech. And Methuselah lived after he begot Lamech 700 years, 782 years, and begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Methuselah were 960 and 9 years, and he died. And Lamech lived 108 and 2 years and begot a son, and he called his name Noah, saying, This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands, because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. And Lamech lived after he begot Noah five hundred and ninety and five years, and begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Lamech were seven hundred and seventy and seven years, and he died. And Noah was five hundred years old. And Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So that's kind of the genealogy there. You hear about Enoch, Methuselah, Jared, you've got Lamech, and then you've got Noah. And now we have eight verses left in our portion today. And so those of you who have been looking forward to my rant, uh, here you go. And for those of you who are not looking forward to my rant, uh, sorry. Chapter 6. We got eight verses to read. And it came to pass, when man began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, And he took them wise of all they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and of creeping thing, and of fowls of the air, and it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That last line is is actually a really beautiful line, and it's a beautiful way to end the portion. And I love that it's the way the portion ends for the schedule. It's like all this bad stuff has happened. God's fed up. Man's got 120 years, and then it's all coming down. But Noah, that's a beautiful, beautiful line. But, in spite of all that, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. All right, let me quickly deal with this. Just so you know, if you go to the YouTube channel and you search the word Enoch, you'll find endless, endless videos and commentary that I've done on this subject. I'm going to give a three-minute rundown in our Parsha study for today because it's already been 40 minutes and running out of time. And it came to pass that men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them. And the sons of God saw that the daughters of men that they were fair. And he took them wives. First word we're going to deal with here is sons of God. Now, just about any Bible commentary you buy, just about any seminary school that trains pastors, teaches that the sons of God are actually the sons of Seth. Which I think is absolutely absurd. It's absurd because it doesn't fit with what the rest of the Bible has to say about this subject. That's number one. And number two, if the Bible wanted you to know it was the sons of Seth, it would simply say the sons of Seth. 
what it says in Hebrew is B'nai Elohim, the sons of God. Now there is another place where this phrase is used, B'nai Elohim. You need to look no further than the book of Job. Here's what it says, verse 6, chapter 1. Now there was a day when the sons of God, the B'nai Elohim, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Almost no one disagrees that this is talking about angels coming before God and Satan, who is also an angelic being, being with them. Okay? So there was a day when the B'nai Elohim came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them. That's the other place where this is used. More importantly, as we read on, it says, There were giants in the earth in those days. The word there that we translate as giants is actually the word Nephilim. Now, the secular here's what's sad, is the secular world, if you say to if you ask them what is a Nephilim or Nephilim, uh, they will very quickly tell you, hey, it's a human giant hybrid, because that they get that from their from from lore, from movies, and from video games, and from fantasy novels, and those kinds of things, because that's what it's meant to the world forever and ever and ever. There is another place where this is used. So there were giants in the earth. The Bible, listen to what the Bible's telling you. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, how did that happen? When the sons of God, the B'nai Elohim, which we just very clearly said was angels, and I'm going to prove it some more here in a minute, came to the daughters of men and bare children to them, and they became mighty men of old, men of renown. The other place where the word Nephilim is used is actually in the book of Numbers. This is where the spies go out to spy out the promised land, and they saw there were giants, the sons of Anak, which came to giants, and it says, which come of the giants, and we were in our sight as grasshoppers, and so were we in their sight. So they come back and they say, we can't go into the promised land. There's giants there, the son of Anak. These people are so big that we're like grasshoppers in their sight. And then, of course, you have David fighting Goliath, right? Nine-foot, athletic, agile warrior. Okay, not big, tall, clumsy dude. Uh, the Second Samuel tells us about Goliath's brothers, and it goes in detail about how big their spears were and how big their bed had to be because these, these guys were giants, and they had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. The Bible going out of its way to tell you these aren't normal people. Okay. Here's the other thing. Outside of the Bible, you can simply go Google from the 1800s and 1900s before the censorship really took off about it. You can Google where they're digging up 15-foot skeletons all over the United States of America and it's being reported by major newspapers all over the country. Go research it yourself. Okay. Here's the other thing. People want to argue, oh, this wasn't fallen angels. This, By the way, Nephilim, the fall, this root word there means to fall. <laughs> but people say, oh, it's not fallen angels. You know, it's the sons of Seth, even though that's not at all what it says. What does Jude say? So let's go to Jude in the New Testament. He says, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, 
how that the Lord saved the people out of the land of Egypt after the Lord destroyed them that believed not, and the angels, which kept not their first estate, but they left their habitation, he reserved into everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Now what's interesting is the book of Enoch, found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, talks about how these angels... They call them watchers in the book of Enoch. Came down, intermingled with women, and produced giants, produced Nephilim. And their punishment was that they were put in darkness, chained up, until the day of judgment. Which is exactly what Jude says. So, where's Jude getting this information? I would argue from the book of Enoch, because he goes on to quote the book of Enoch a few verses later. You go to verse 14, and Jude says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints, to execute judgment upon all, and to convince all that are ungodly among them, after their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, and all of their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. So Jude tells the story from the book of Enoch about what happened in Genesis chapter 6 and then he quotes from the book of Enoch directly by the way the book of Enoch not only was it, is it found in abundance with the Dead Sea Scrolls but it was in the Ethiopic Jewish Bible and the Ethiopic Christian Bible long before there was even such thing as an English Bible and it still is to this day and the book that they have believe it or not when the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in the 40s was perfect this is exactly what they had in their Bible to begin with Peter says that in the last days we'll be ignorant about the things concerning the flood ignorant about a lot of things if you go to Second Peter Peter says and saying where is the promise of his coming by the way I still run into this with Christians today everything going on in the world they'll tell me this very line that Peter says they're going to say and saying where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Every time I meet with friends or family and we talk about end times, I always get, well, every generation thought it was the end times. Peter says that's exactly how people are going to act, by the way. Anyway, let me get to my point, verse 5. For this they are willfully are ignorant. I don't remember if you remember Kent Hovine, but he used to say, when the Bible says willfully ignorant, it means dumb on purpose. For this they are willfully ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that was then being overflowed with the water perished. He says there's... There's coming a day when they're going to say the Lord's not coming. Everybody's believed this. They're going to be ignorant of what took place with the flood. And then as a result of their ignorance, their willful ignorance, verse 7, But the heavens and the earth which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved into fire against the day of judgment and perdition of godly men. So Peter's saying it's coming just like the day it did, just like the days of Noah. People will be ignorant about it. They'll be denying that it's happening. And then judgment's coming. But then I remembered the last verse of our portion today. That in spite of all that, verse 8, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Well, that is our study for this morning. It's the best I could do for you in 47 minutes. And I had to get up incredibly early to pull this off this morning. So I hope that you were blessed by it. There's so much more to say. So much more to unpack. Uh, that we just don't have the time to do. So take the time and study it some more. 
seek out these things for yourself. And uh, I pray that uh, this is at least causing you to hunger for more of God's word and for more of God's truth that seems to be lost on a majority of the world today. Thanks for listening. Please consider supporting this. There's a lot of work that goes into this, and it gets kind of expensive as well. So please consider supporting it. Scriptureandprophecy.com is how you go about doing that. Peace and grace be with all of you. And until next time, God bless.